I always like to remind you, since it's the beginning of the month, that now is the best time to get the most value at Libsyn. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Use the coupon code SOP free to get a free month of media hosting, not just this month, but the next month as well. Go to Libsyn again, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Use the coupon code SOP free and get two free months. The Washington Post has called her one of the 22 most influential women in podcasting, and now she's got a great book out called So You Want to Start a Podcast. I knew when I met her in New York last year, I said, you have got to come on the show. Today, we're talking with Kristen Meinzer. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I am your Hall of Fame award-winning podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. This is where we talk about massaging your message. We talk about tackling the technology, facing your fears, and flattening the learning curve. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. If you want to start a podcast, I would love to help you. Go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at the School of Podcasting and save on either a monthly or yearly subscription. I am so jacked to bring you this interview today because she's worked for NPR, ECBS, WNYC, Slate, CBC, Panoply, and we're just scratching the surface. Her podcast by the book was voted 21 podcasts we're listening to over and over again by BuzzFeed in 2018. I could go on for hours. She is literally a big shot smarty pants, and I mean that with the utmost respect And that's why I brought her on the show. So without further ado, author of the book, So You Want to Start a Podcast, here is Kristen Meinzer. Kristen Meinzer, thanks for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be on your show with you. Thank you. I saw you speak and you're one of the, I've had this happen with a few people that the minute you shut up, I was like jumping over people to hand (laughs) you a business card. I'm like, you must come on my show. What I love about both your book and, and your talk is you really, in my opinion, think outside the box. Oh, thanks. One of your podcasts is by the book, and it's where you and your co-host, Yolenta, you read a book, and then if it was, can we, can I call it regular podcaster? Or <laughs> if, it was, if it was just, if it was just like some guy that I met, they go, oh, that'd be great. Let's, let's both read the book and we'll talk about it. But that's not what you guys did. So kind of explain what you did with the concept of, hey, let's both read a book. And then you went from there. Yes. So Jolent and I are both big fans of um, reality TV. We met while we were working in public radio together, but we are both big fans of reality TV. And we both believe very strongly that we should be looking outside the box when it comes to making podcasts. So we thought, let's make a podcast inspired by reality TV. And we decided the way to do it would be we would live by the rules of different self-help books. Each episode, we choose a different book, we read it, we distill the rules, and then we live by a book for two weeks straight while we record ourselves at home, at work, and in the world so you can hear how each book enhances or destroys our lives. So the books so far have included everything from past lives, future healing, to um, more logical sounding ones like The Nine Steps to Financial Freedom by Susie Orman, How to Write an Ebook in Less Than Seven to 14 Days That Will Make You Money Forever, 
where we each ended up writing a book and everything in between. All, all the bestsellers, Big Magic, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, French Women Don't Get Fat. Name a bestseller, <laughs> we probably live by it. <laughs> well, what I love about that, as opposed to just two people going, did you like the book? I thought it was okay, great. What you did is you've taken your your book and you've injected a story into it. In fact, one of the lines in your book that to me was so obvious and I went, hey, you know what? As you mentioned how... How many times has a, a little kid come up to you? I have two little, I have uh, great nieces and nephews. And I thought about this where you put them on your lap and they'll look at you and go, tell me a story. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's true. I see that a lot. And really what you've done is you took two people talking about a book and you injected a story into it. Is it always two episodes? And it, it seems like it's the first episode is kind of like, oh, here's what the, here's what the book is about. Oh, there could be shenanigans. And it's kind of like, oh, what's going to, so there's like yeah. a cliffhanger. Oh, there's the it, main episode where we actually live by the book. Yeah. And you get to hear us fighting with our husbands or crying or moving traffic with our minds or doing whatever the book tells us to do, <laughs> throwing out half of our worldly possessions, which we've also done. And then part two, the second episode is a little bit of a follow-up. And it also includes all the listener feedback we get, which I think is very important to anyone listening to your show that wants to build an audience because one great way to build an audience is actually, I don't like to use the word audience. I like to use the word community. One way to do that is to make sure that the listeners get to hear themselves in your show. So one reason we dedicate two episodes to each book is so that one episode can be dedicated also to listeners sharing their stories and their experiences. So for example, when we live by the life-changing magic of tidying up, Oh, the stories came rolling in like crazy. One woman explained how when she touched each item in her life and determined whether or not it sparked joy when it was in her hands, she also included her husband on those lists of objects and he no longer sparked joy. So she got divorced after living by the book. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Well, so we love to share listener stories. Well, and and you share stories yourself in the one episode, I forget, it was a book about death. I forget the name of it. Oh, yes. That was a pretty recent episode. That was called The Art of Dying Well. That was just a few weeks ago we did that one. But you and your husband yeah. both kind of came on and explained how you your situations were with, with your parents and things like that. And you mentioned in your book how one of the things that that listeners love is a podcaster that's willing to be revealing. Yes. And you guys were very transparent in that. And what do you say to the person that is nervous about just getting on the mic in the first place? And now you're like, you know, let the audience get to know you a little bit and illustrate a story with a, illustrate a point with a, a story. What would you say to that, that person? How do they get comfortable doing that? Well, I would say I used to be the person who was afraid of being revealing myself. Mm -hmm. So I know how that feels. I entered into this whole universe as a producer and as a critic. I was a film critic for many years. My first podcast, the one I hosted for WNYC, was called Movie Date. And I thought, this is great. Here's a chance for me to share opinions, to be critical, to sometimes be not very nice. And I wasn't somebody who wanted to be especially revealing about the deep, personal, vulnerable parts of myself. But what I did realize when I was hosting that show was through my opinions, I was revealing parts of myself because part of my opinions, how did I form that opinion? What's that about? What did it remind me of? Why did I really hate this one aspect of this movie? Was it just because I don't like movies with only dudes and guns? Or is it because there's a part of me that feels very alienated when 
I'm erased from a story. And how does, you know, and then me talking about erasure in the movies and whose stories matter and whose don't. And so my opinion suddenly is revealing something about myself and my identity. And so I think it can sometimes start off with just an opinion and then it can build from there. But I would urge people not just to share opinions, but to tie their opinions into stories and to personal experiences. And now's the time where we're both going to share our favorite French toast recipes. That's not really, <laughs> not really what we're looking for here. Um, you mentioned your, your movie show. I love this line. A podcast about movies isn't really a show. Movies are just a topic. Yes. And I heard that. So ex- can you expand on that a little more? Oh, yes. Well, I'm sure everybody in America at some point or another in the last year has met somebody who said, gosh, podcasting. You know, I've thought about starting a podcast before. And I'd say at least 25% of the times when somebody approaches me about that, the word movies comes up. And I'll say like, like what if I show, hosted a show about movies? Sometimes it's like, what if I hosted a show about music? But it's both of those come up a lot, music or movies. And those are topics. What is it you're going to do about the movies? What is it that you're going to do about the music? How will you differentiate yourself? What unique thing is going to be injected in there that will make me feel that I'm getting something beautiful that I haven't heard before? And in some cases, it's going to be a historical take that no one else is doing right now. And in some cases, it will be tying two subjects together that nobody thinks of at the same time. Like, it's all about sports and movies, for example. But no matter what, it's also going to include some unique perspectives from the host and the host's personality as well. But these things have to be thought of if you want to attract people. Because if you say, I'm hosting a show about movies, why would somebody choose you over any other show to listen to? What I love is is going back to your your podcast by the book. You know, that's not just a book review. It's a comedy because you're pretty funny and, <laughs> and it's reality TV. So it's three things in one. You did a movie review show. Explain how you made it different. Well, the movie review show had a few things going for it. One, it was 10 years ago. So standing out from the crowd was slightly different back then, 10 years ago versus now. But the film critic I was working with, Rafer Guzman, who is still a film critic for Newsday, he is somebody who he's got an NPR voice. He's very smooth, very polished sounds quite educated and informed in everything he says. And I was kind of the stand-in for the everyman. And this gets to something I also mentioned in the book, which is know what character you're playing on the show when you're hosting. So we knew he was going to play the expert, the professional film critic. He's the member of the New York Film Critics Circle. He gets to vote for all those awards and so on. And I was somebody who just loves movies. I watch movies nonstop. I have since I was a kid. Movies were often my babysitter's. I just, I think movies are one of the most magical things in the world. And one of the most magical places in the world is the inside of a movie theater. I love movies. And I don't care what anyone says. I freaking love Christmas made for TV movies from Hallmark. I like chick flicks. I like all the movies that people freaking call reprehensible, <laughs> lowbrow, and stupid. I also love foreign films. I also love, you know, the, I like a lot of different kinds of movies. But I think the role I played on the show was really celebrating the sh- the types of movies that were not highbrow and the types of movies that frequently get ridiculed because they're targeting female audiences. And he is somebody who I think initially started off mostly playing the critic, but then more and more it came in. He loves movies with guns. He loves shoot-em-ups. He loves dude movies. And then the longer we hosted the show, the more it became apparent that his character was kind of 
the stereotypical dude. And in a lot of ways, I was the stereotypical woman, but both of us are very educated and know a lot about film history. Both of us have like major film history chops. So that was first and foremost, differentiating our characters. And then second, we had certain segments in the show that made us different from other shows. We had a very popular segment called movie therapy. So in addition to reviewing movies in act one of the show, act one, we would review usually three new releases. Act two of the show would be movie therapy. People would write and call in with their predicaments, and we would prescribe a regimen of movies for them to watch to help them through that predicament, whether it was losing a job or recently having a baby and not getting any sleep or trying to be okay being single again after a divorce. And so we would prescribe movies for their predicaments. And then occasionally we would have a celebrity interview, somebody like you know, it could be anyone from Scarlett Johansson to James Franco to, you know, any other celebrity who's in a movie at the time, Kristen Stewart. And then the final moment of the podcast was us thanking the listeners for listening and leaving them with a movie clip for movie trivia. And they would write in, getting no money, no prizes, nothing, but people would write in like crazy saying, I know what that movie clip was from. And then the next week, we would announce the winner of the last weeks and then give them another movie clip for the week after. And that's how every episode ended was movie trivia. So we had certain segments of the show that were different from any other show. And nobody else was making a movie podcast that had all of the parts that we did in the show, nor the hosting that we did. And frankly, back then, it was mostly two white dudes who were hosting a podcast and just talking about like how rad the movies were, dude. And like, <laughs> I totally saw that. And then like, maybe I didn't really even explain the plot, but did I tell you how cool the special effects were like toward the like grand finale? There were a lot of things like that. Yeah. A lot of dude. I, I call that two guys, one brain show. <laughs> but I love the story when you originally started, because that's the other thing. You also share, in some cases, what didn't work. Oh, yeah. And you explain how you originally started the show. Tell the story about uh, not Frozen with the singing snowman, the, the story of, of Frozen uh, and how you, the original concept of your, your, your movie show was going to be. Yes. So the original concept of the show was Rafers. And Rafer dreamed of starting a podcast where there would be a real person interviewed each week to talk about their experience with something that was happening in a major new release movie. So, for example, um, for the pilot episode, we watched a movie called Frozen, which was a horror movie. And the movie consists of three people who are stuck on a snow lift, uh, on a chairlift for days. And they're peeing their pants and they're fighting and they're bickering and they can't get down. And then finally one of them jumps and then the wolves eat him because I think wolves like eating skiers. And then, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a preposterous movie. But then we found somebody who was trapped on a chairlift for 12 hours, I believe it was. And Rafer interviewed that person and it just wasn't the best interview. And the show was so reliant on finding a great interviewee for every single bad movie that was out there. And that would require more man hours and more effort and possibly more coaching of guests than we had time for. And when it came down to it, the higher ups at WNYC told us, you know, it's great conceptually if you have like more resources and can really guarantee good guests, but 
the thing that they liked best was hearing Rafer and I argue in the hallways about movies. They loved hearing the two of us talk. And they said just hearing us talk in the hallway made people laugh. And that was enough for them. So they said, let's just have the two of you, one guy, one gal, who have very different perspectives on movies, who laugh constantly, and with all of the unique segments on their show that they want to have. And let's just do that. And six years later, yeah, it it just went on and on and on. <laughs> well, that's the one of the things I really wanted to ask you about is, is format. Because I don't think enough people think about it. It's like, well, we'll just fire up a microphone. We'll talk about it. My favorite is, should we go to the lightning round? I don't know. Do you want to go to the lightning round? Yeah, let's go to the lightning round. Just go to the lightning round. We're crying out loud. Go to the freaking lightning round. <laughs> but in the book, you mentioned that with buy the book, you worked on the format for four months. For the pilot episode. Yes, we did. Yeah. So what does that entail? Like, what do you do for four months? What were you doing? Restructured the show multiple times. We weren't sure... We weren't sure how much of our own tape we should play. Jolent and I initially, the first book we lived by was The Secret. And we recorded ourselves watching the movie adaptation of The Secret. We recorded ourselves, which is two hours. We recorded ourselves reading the book in public and our feelings of reading the book in public. We recorded ourselves responding to each chapter. We responded to a bunch of stuff before we even got to the point of living by the book. Then once we started living by the rules of the book, then we each recorded another 40 hours, I think, of ourselves. And what do you do with that much tape? Yeah. <laughs> Pull your hair. Yes. And then, um, so then the question came, what do we do with all this tape? How do we format, reformat it? What makes the show have the best tempo? Where do people get bored? And we tried multiple ways to open the show. How do we introduce ourselves? How do we introduce the concept of the show? How do we make clear the role that Jolenta plays as the believer and the role that I play on the show, which is the skeptic? And just trying to cram as much as we could into the first five minutes because most people stop listening to a podcast they don't like in the first five minutes. And we knew it was crucial. Let's make the first five minutes delicious so nobody wants to shut it off. That was one of the main things we did. After we dealt with all of that tape and realized we don't need that much tape and we're never going to tape that much tape again, we're never going to tape that much. A lot of the focus was really just on those first five minutes. How do we make it yummy? How do we make it clear? How do we make people want to listen to hear what happens by the end? How did you determine what was working and what wasn't? Did you have a focus group of some sort or did, was it just bouncing ideas or that's where the husbands came in? Or <laughs> well, we were very fortunate that when we were piloting by the book, we were with Panoply, RIP Panoply. Panoply was the spinoff company of Slate. And Panoply provided us with an executive producer who helped oversee the project, with a producer who helped put the show together and direct us. And then the whole production team of other producers working on other shows, and we're talking a wide range of shows. They were working on everything from Bad With Money to You Must Remember This to Revisionist History. But all of the producers were very seasoned, very smart, had a great sense of story. And they met with us multiple times and they gave feedback and they were not afraid to tell the truth. I was bored stiff during the beginning of this. The show didn't come alive for me until minute seven. And if this was a show made by someone I didn't know, I wouldn't have made it to seven minutes. So people were very frank with us. And we really appreciated everything they said to us. And we made it an assignment that every single cut of the show had to be close listening with notes from everybody on the team. So we were lucky. Not everybody has that kind of team working with them to give them feedback. 
how did you how do you deal with that? Because I mean, there's a part of you that goes, "That's my art, man. That's my baby. Why are you tearing it apart? I worked so hard on that first two minutes. Why is there? There has to be a time when you go in and go, "This is it. This is the one." They're just going to stand and salute and cheer, and you give it to them. Then you go, "No, not." I mean, how do you handle that? How could you not see how brilliant this is? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was definitely that sometimes that feeling, but also there was the faith in their feedback actually mattering. I wouldn't be going to those people if I didn't believe in it. And there were some things they suggested we change that we actually didn't end up changing because I think it's important. And I say this in my book, and I've said it to you when I was talking with you in person, which is I think the two most important questions that people forget to ask are, why am I starting a podcast? And who is it for? And because in my heart, I knew the answers very well to those questions, a lot of times their feedback would help feed back into those answers for me. Why am I making it? Who is it for? Is everybody at this table knowing that that's the case? Are they helping me get there? Yes. Or occasionally they would make a suggestion that wouldn't help me because it was a bit of feedback that would have been more useful if my show was for somebody else. I already knew who my show was for. And if they were giving me feedback that didn't apply to my audience, then it didn't matter. And if it steers it outside your why, well, then that's not going to work either because who wants to do a show that reaps the rewards that you didn't want? It's yes. Like, yes. But, like, more, but more than anything, I tried to always be thankful because getting feedback is a gift. People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be in journalism programs at prestigious schools just so they can not just learn, but get feedback from great professors and classmates. And getting feedback is an enormous gift. It's an enormous opportunity and we should be grateful for it when we're able to get it. Yeah. The, you mentioned the, the question of why do you start a podcast and you, I love the the beginning of the book and you're like, if somebody comes up and goes, I don't know, sounds kind of fun. Or all my friend Dave and I are really funny, which is like the number one answer I always hear. No offense. <laughs> but he is. Dave's really Dave's funny. Hilarious. Dave, Dave Everybody some, thinks Dave's funny. Hashtag yeah. not all Dave's. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you hear this all the time, I'm sure. Yeah. A lot of people just think my friend Dave and I are funny. Alternatively, I want to do it because everyone is. I hear that a lot too. Mm. I'll ask, why do you want to start a podcast? Well, everybody's doing it. Yeah, those are not good answers. You need a better answer. What is a good answer? A good answer is I want to create a space where people in my community can feel heard or seen. I want to build a community around a certain identity, disability, cause. I want to tell a story about something that matters in a way that's not being told right now. I have a unique perspective on a story that only I own, and I want to share it with the world. I am deeply in love with this topic and would talk about it every day, 12 hours a day for the rest of my life, even not with a microphone. I'm talking about things like my co-host, Jolenta, loves Little House, or she she loves Real Housewives. I love Little House on the Prairie. Either one of us, if we started a <laughs> podcast on that topic, you know, we would put our own spin on it, but we talk about those things every day anyway. I talk about Little House on the Prairie way too often. She talks about Real Housewives constantly. So, How can you not yeah. love Half Pint? I mean, come on. <laughs> She's the best. Such a <laughs> rascal, but what a, what a heart of gold she has. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you've worked with these networks. That is something that I know nothing of. And I, this is what I think it is. And you can tell me if this is wrong. So this will be fun. It sounds to me a little bit like the movies. 
somebody writes a script, they come up with it. They maybe come up with, okay, we want to get Ben Affleck and we want to get so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And then they present it to the studio and the studio goes, uh, no. And then either they go back and write it again. Is that kind of what you do? Or how does this, like, if I want to work with Panoply or whoever, insert big name here, how does that work? Oh, well, most big networks want to know that you have a proven track record first. They want to know that you already have a loyal following or that you're somebody famous already. Just for example, um, think about Susie Orman, who I already mentioned. It's like she already had a huge following. It's not hard for her to start a podcast. Any network would want her. She's got gazillions of people who adore her already. And so most of us, though, aren't really famous. And most of us at the moment don't have a podcast with a huge number of followers. So it's important to start the process now to prove that you can do it, to build a community already around something else if you haven't already, whether it's your blog or your business or a book that you've written or a class that you teach. You can build a community around those things. And people have come from all those backgrounds and have gone on to host podcasts. For example, there's somebody who teaches a class about the science of happiness at Yale, and it's the most popular class at Yale of any single class. So she already had a community that was very interested in her, and then newspapers wrote about her. So she had the foundation to start a podcast because there was, based on her stats, already so many people interested in her. So we can all do that in different ways. We don't necessarily have to teach at Yale to get that, but we can in different ways build our audience, build our community, and build our communities with our independent shows as well. Yeah, you mentioned a great point. I always say, always get feedback from somebody not named mom. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. so where you had, you know, this this team of people helping you with buy the book, you can still get feedback. So how, you know, how do you get a focus group? I love co-hosting. So first and foremost, make sure you and your co-host are giving honest feedback to each other in the show. If you have a co-host and if you have a producer or an intern or anybody else helping you, make close listening and feedback part of the weekly assignment. And if you don't have those people on your team, that's okay. You can get feedback from a lot of other places. You can join podcast meetup groups and you can take free or very low cost classes. A lot of community centers, a lot of colleges have very low cost or free classes right now in podcasting. I highly recommend joining some of the communities online around uh, podcasting. That includes She Podcasts, which Elsie Escobar, who you know very well, obviously, uh, that she has a community of, oh gosh, somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people who log on there every day and ask each other for feedback. And they say, hey, this is the show art I've made. Do you think it's clear? Do you think that people will know what my show is about by looking at this? They ask if you would like to be a guest on my show or can I be a guest on your show? And they do guest swapping and so on. And being in online communities like that or school of podcasting or podcast starters, there, there are a whole bunch of Facebook communities that are online. You can talk with other people who have a lot of wisdom and it does not matter where you are in your career. There are people who know more than you and less than you and everybody tries to help each other out. And I especially like the groups for women and people of color because I think that those groups in particular are frequently ignored in the media. I believe it's 83% of newsrooms are still non-people of color, and podcasting is still, to a great extent, based on some stats, two-thirds white men. <laughs> so it's good to 
be in those other spaces for women and people of color where maybe you're less scared of being talked over, or maybe there are other people who've faced the same challenges you have, whether it's with being heard with advertisers or booking the guests that you want to. The chapter on diversity, I got done and was like, oh, I am such a middle-aged white dude. I'm like, holy cow. I just... <laughs> but you're not just a middle-aged white dude. You have people like me on your show, and that's what differentiates you. There are so many white dudes who it never occurs to them to have a woman of color on their show. It just doesn't even cross their mind. Well, I love the fact that if I say, well, you know, all my friends are other middle-aged white dudes, and you simply say, maybe you should Google the phrase, you know, person of color topic. And I was like, yeah, if, uh, if only we had some sort of large search engine where we could find people. <laughs> if only a tool like that existed where we could find any find the answer to any question we were ever looking for. If only we had something like that. And this is where something, again, because I'm just a middle-aged white dude, I don't understand the concept of watching a movie or watching TV and not connecting with the person because there was always some white dude on the screen that I could identify with. And you make this point that I just kind of like, well, duh, that if you have a female, if you have a person of color and you have the middle-aged white dude, now everybody can connect with somebody. And that just gives you the opportunity to grow your audience because these people might tune in for so-and-so and somebody else will tune in for that. And the other thing is you're going to get differences of opinion. So I, I realize. I'm just reading the chapter for you, but that was the one that I was like, oh man, it's like, why aren't we talking about this more? Can you think of any podcast that you look at and think that's a great example of a, a mix of opinions? Oh boy. Well, obviously I have to always point to me and Jolenta on by the book because she's the self-help believer and I am the skeptic. I also frequently point to Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which is a show, full disclosure, I used to produce because Gretchen is very much a type A personality who is regimented about her self-improvement path. And her sister is her co-host. And her sister does things like just leave piles of clothes on the floor. She is not necessarily very good about making sure she eats what would be considered healthy foods. And by her own admission, she's just like, she is not the polished happiness guru that she sees Gretchen as. She is the stand-in for the every person, and Gretchen is the stand-in for the aspirational dream of happiness. And by having two such different people, you have one person that the audience can maybe dream about being more like, and the other person that they relate to and can laugh at and feel seen by. Because there are also other happiness shows out there, there are a million of them, that you just have some sort of self-important guru who's saying, be like me, do it like me, do it like me. And that can get exhausting to listen to. It can get really, uh, I'm trying to think of the nicest way to put this. <laughs> There's the likelihood of coming off as a charlatan also when it's just you who is little Miss Perfect or Mr. Perfect claiming, this is the one guaranteed way to change your life. Live like me. These are the things that I do. And it's very useful to have a co-host in this case, just to have a diversity of opinion, have someone you can relate to, have somebody who maybe pushes back a little bit and says, hey, did you say guaranteed? One guaranteed way? Hey, let's revisit that. Let's talk about that. And it can make for more friction. It can make for more laughs. It can make for deeper thoughts and help bring the hosts and the audience into something that has more meaning 
much more so than what can feel like a propaganda machine of one person just talking all the time about, and then after you say your aspirational statement in the morning, then we go on a walk and we do this, and then we meditate and do this. And I think that, you know, that's one of the risks of being a single hosted show. It can sound like you are a preacher in a church that maybe is not really a real church. Yeah. And usually on the album art, it's a picture of them on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, here's something that you ready for the controversial question. Oh, yeah. Um, You say when you start a podcast, the target time should be around 20 minutes to which everybody's going to say, what about Joe Rogan and Dan Carlin? And what about the I, I quote this all the time, Valerie Geller uh, in her book, Beyond Powerful Radio, there is no such thing as too long, only too boring. <laughs> I definitely think that that is a much bigger problem. But the fact is that most podcasts that are very long have fat that should have been trimmed. Most podcasts that are over 40 minutes really need to be looked at closely. And we need to ask, did every word count? Did every moment matter? There's a high likelihood not every moment mattered, not every minute counted. And I think 20 minutes is a great place to start for newbies because it is more manageable. You can pay more attention to every minute. You can feel out whether or not every minute mattered or if it just felt like slush. And my recommendation also is for 20 to 40 minutes, 20 when you're starting out, but 20 to 40 minutes is a sweet spot because most podcast listener habits seem to suggest that those are the lengths of podcasts that people enjoy the most. That's because that's how long it takes to get ready in the morning or to make dinner or to commute or to do a load of laundry or to go to the gym and run two miles or um, if you're me half a mile in that time because I'm not very fit. But you hear what I'm saying. It's really based on people's listening habits and also making the most of every minute. And if every minute is delicious, 20 to 40 minutes is great. If every minute is crap, that two-hour podcast you're making is going to feel like 13 hours to me. (laughs) That's all I get it. And uh, the phrase I always hear is like what we might consider fat. It's like, well, I'm just being real. It's just me talking to my buddy. We're going to keep it real. (laughs) Please don't keep it real. Don't keep it real. I, I already have a life. I'm alive. I talk to people every day. I don't need, I mean, I cannot imagine, God forbid, if there was a recording of every conversation I had with every person in every elevator and on the bus and like on the phone with my sister, that would be so boring. Not everything needs to be that real. You could make it a little bit less realistic. <laughs> well, also, if you, you mentioned how by the book is kind of part reality TV, reality TV is heavily edited. Oh, they, so much so. Yes. There's a lot of writing and crafting that goes into it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you were a producer. That's another fun-filled phrase from independent podcasters that we go, uh, what What does that actually mean when you're a producer <laughs> of a podcast? Yes. And in my book, I have a list of, here are some of the duties that producers do. Yeah. And I believe the list is about 50 items long of some of the things that producers do. It's everything from book guests for your show, book you to appear on other shows so you can be interviewed, help you with 
setting up the microphones in the studio when you have a guest, making sure that the equipment is running properly, then recording the session, then taking the recording session and cutting it all down and mixing in music and making sure the levels are right and uh, creating a first draft and then having a feedback session with you and the hosts and then determining what needs to change for the second draft and doing rewrites if there is a script involved and publishing the episode using Libsyn or whatever technology is being used, distributing it in the world, promoting it on social media. Those are just like a a very small number of the tasks that a producer does. A producer does lots and lots and lots and lots of things. All of the above. Well, you you mentioned and you, you write about it in the book, scripting your episodes. When I listen to buy the book, it sounds like you guys are just having a conversation. How much of that is scripted and how much of that is just off the cuff? How does that work? We always have a mix. So we do know what audio tape we want to play from our weeks of living at home and in the world with these horrible instructions from these horrible self-help books. So Jolent and I, after we record ourselves in the world, we cut down the clips that we want to play in the episode. And then we talk around those clips. So the clips are already chosen. The intros and outros are always very scripted because we usually have certain things we want to hit on, including the details of every rule of a book. So every book we live by, we distill the rules down. We do a lot of research with these books. They're dog-eared, they're underlined, they're highlighted so that we can take the meat of what was supposed to be relayed to the reader in each book. And so that is very scripted because we never want to get wrong and misrepresent what a book is trying to say. And our interpretation of the book is very scripted in that way of the rules. And then the other stuff, there's a mix of ad lib and writing because we want to sound natural. We want to talk around our tape. Um, We want to make sure the tape is telling the story, not just us. Uh, It's that whole show don't tell rule. And so if our audio tape can tell the story better than us, why should we be over explaining it? We shouldn't. The other thing I thought was really cool, and this was towards the beginning of the book, is you get to one part where you, and I start to think, oh, you know what this is? This is going to be a radio person writing a book about podcasting that wants me to sound like radio. And you kind of go, "Uh, not so fast there, Dave. So expand on that, how maybe we should be looking at other things besides radio for inspiration. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the stereotypes of podcasting for people who don't listen to podcasts are, oh, I don't need to listen to public radio. I already have public radio. Or I don't need to listen to talk radio. I already listen to talk radio when I'm driving to and from work every day. And I think there are a lot of podcasts that are essentially just copying NPR or copying talk radio because that's what they're used to hearing. What they're used to hearing in their ears are usually one of those two things. And so people are just copying that. And there is such an overabundance of those kind of shows. Those kinds of shows are a dime a dozen. And I'm not saying those shows are all bad. Some of them are outstanding. I mean, there's a reason why people want to copy This American Life. It's an outstanding show. Why would you not want to copy it? But I say, here's why you don't want to copy it. One, because we're more inventive than that. We can do better than that. We can be more creative. We can attract people who don't want to listen to one more public radio show or one more talk radio shock jock. We can attract so many more people if we maybe try to steal ideas from Snapchat or from Tasty Videos or from reality TV or the video screen in the elevator in an office building. There are a million other places we can look for inspiration. And 
that means we can be more original. We can attract more people. We can tell more interesting stories. We can use our voices in different sorts of ways and really just stand out and also just be more fun and more innovative. Yeah, I think, well, maybe you can answer this. What do you think podcasters are? I don't know if neglect is the right word, but as somebody who comes from, has seen both sides of like, I'm on the radio and now I get to go to a podcast to be a podcast. Like what's the first thing the radio person says when they say, we're going to start a podcast. They go, oh, cool. Now I can. (laughs) Now I can be myself because a lot of radio shows, especially public radio, don't want you to necessarily be a personality. They want you to be a presenter. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. A lot of um, public radio in particular wants you to sound impartial, to sound not biased in any way. And I believe in that. And I think public radio is outstanding for that. They really genuinely want to not come off as propaganda in any way, but to deliver the news straight. And I really respect that. But podcasting is a chance to be more than that and to connect with people. And to not be the interchangeable public radio voice where there's 25 presenters that you could swap out for the same presenter and they would sound exactly the same. In a podcast, you can truly be yourself. You can be Dave. You can be Kristen. You can be anybody else you want to be. And and that includes all of your foibles and your faults and your failures and your weird opinions and and your love of the Real Housewives or anything else. Well, I love there's a line in the book where you say, if all we wanted was just facts, uh, we'd all just sit around reading encyclopedias all day. And I was like, you know, again, it's when I was like, man, that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) I need you to be my publicist, Dave, because every, first of all, I feel like you read my book more carefully than. Oh, I'm telling you, look, you can't see this audience, but I've got bunches of yellow stickies. Oh my gosh. Look at that. (laughs) You know, there's a star here in the corner with a bunch of highlighting. It was, like I said, it was a good book and it was, it's an easy read. And all of a sudden you're like, that's the other thing. It's like you, you read it and you're like, wow, there's so many chapters. Cause it's, it's also uh, broken into a couple of different areas. It's dream it, write it, host it, cast it, make it, share it, grow it. So it's really, you know, it's not 37 million steps to do this. It's like, here, just break it into these little bite-sized chunks. And so the, uh, like the one on diversity, it's a short chapter, but it was just, man, you just hit these points. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, I never really thought of it that way. And if you can get me to think, I am your friend for for life. So you, you oh, have good. a friend. I think um, we're buddies after this. That's it. Well, I will see you at uh, She Podcast. I'm working the Libsyn booth. So that'll oh, be great. Oh, fantastic. I'll hang out with you. <laughs> you're the keynote. So what I wanted to kind of throw at you is to see if we can get creative with something. And I hear this all, that there are a ton of them, which are podcasts with inspirational stories. and so. On one hand, it is an inspirational story. I interviewed, insert person name here, their childhood was horrible, their one parent was this, their other parent was that, and through the, they pulled themselves up, and now they've gone on to insert great thing here, blah, 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 and it is, it's an inspirational story, but I often, people go like, oh, I'm going to start a podcast, I'm like, great what's it going to be about? And they're like, oh, I'm going to interview people that have inspirational stories. (laughs) Yes, I've heard this pitch before many times too. Yeah. So how do you, how do you go outside of the box with an inspirational story podcast? Oh, you can really frame it any way you want to that's different. And a good example of this is Death, Sex, and Money hosted by Anna Sale. A lot of people might you know, if they didn't know the name of the show, think like, oh, it sounds a lot like This American Life. How is this any different? But because the title of the show is Death, Sex, and Money, and her tagline is 
the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. And because she frames it that way, then there's meaning in it. There's meat in it. Oh, oh, yes. And if every conversation is about one of those three topics or the three mixed together, death, sex, and money, it makes it feel more intentional and it makes it feel unique. That way it doesn't just feel like, oh, this is inspirational stories. Nice. It is. Well, and it you again, goes back to the first five minutes. The way you frame it and the way you open up the show, it's either going to bring people in or it's going to get them going, no, this isn't for me or whatever. Or it sounds like everything else. Yeah. Make it, make it special. Yeah. What makes you turn off a podcast the quickest? Oof. I really hate lousy sound quality. I really, does it sound like it's being recorded in a parking lot on your, you know, those old tape recorders where you had to push play and record at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I hear podcasts that sound like that. And I think for crying out loud, people, please. I mean, there's there's a long list of things that make me shut (laughs) off a podcast in the first five minutes, but that's always something I notice in the first three seconds. I notice that. But in the first five minutes, I also notice there are some podcast hosts that don't introduce themselves or the name of the show. I don't know why they do that. They think I'm just going to enjoy like, hey, what's going on, dude? Oh, yeah. So this week, I did, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then like 18 minutes later, I'm like, has anyone told me the name of the show, the name of the host, the topic that's going to be discussed? Nobody's done that. They're just talking and talking and talking. And if I wanted that, I could seriously just like, go and sit on a park bench and eavesdrop on the person on the next park bench. (laughs) It's a good point. Yeah. So please introduce yourselves, introduce the show, make me feel welcome. Make me feel like I'm coming to the best party in the world and you're excited to have me as a guest. You should treat your audience as if they're special. And you mentioned something about the beginning of the show, something about a, the beginning of a podcast is a lot like a party. It is. Yes. Yes. And so that's why I use that analogy because I like to tell people, imagine a friend of a friend says, hey, meet me at my neighbor's party. I'll meet you there after work. You go there after work and your friend is running late and you're like, whatever, I'll go to the party anyway. And you walk in, no one says hello to you. No one opens the door. You see a group of people standing in a circle and they're not really even letting you enter the circle. And they're talking about something that you don't understand and they don't get you up to speed on the conversation. And that's what it can feel like when you listen to a podcast where they don't welcome you as a listener, where they don't tell you what the show is, where they don't introduce themselves. It can feel like you walked into a party and nobody actually wanted you there. The only reason they're having the party is so that they can have fun and not have you there. Yeah. I thought that was a great analogy. Cause I I just, if you take two seconds to think about that and how that would feel, that's where you got to change the, the opening of your show. So well, Kristen, thank you so much for, for your time. Again, the book is called So You Want to Start a Podcast, Finding Your Voice, Telling Your Story, and Building a Community That Will Listen. Seven Steps to Take Your Show from Idea to Hit Show. Your website is kristenmeinzer.com. Any other place? Obviously, it's going to be at Amazon. Any other websites we should plug? Yes. Um, you can also follow me on social media at Kristen Meinzer and on Instagram at K10Minzer. That's K10Minzer. Yeah. And then check out my shows and check out my book, which is available in ebook and audiobook starting August 6th also. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, this was so fun. You're such a great host. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Oh, I love that discussion. Anybody that's, I love the fact that she's like, look, we can be more creative, you know, bring your personality, bring your diversity, know your role. That's a great tip. You know, uh, why are you starting a podcast? Who is this for? You know, getting feedback is an enormous gift. And I'm not sure we all feel that way. I think some of us are a little afraid to get feedback. But if your goal is to make your show better, you have to embrace all feedback. And the other thing she said there that I thought was cool was she was talking about how Susie Orman is this humongous, you know, financial guru. But Susie Orman had to start someplace. At one point, nobody knew who Susie Orman was. And so she had to start. And so, you know, check out Kristen's book. Just go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash 682. And when you're ready to do the hands-on stuff and learn the software and set up your website and and upload to media hosts, that's where the School of Podcasting comes in. But I really love her book for getting you to think outside the box. You heard. She spent four hours working on that pilot episode. So, again, everything out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 682. I should also mention that as this is coming out as a paperback and a hardback and an audiobook, this is coming out on August 6th, so that's this Tuesday, you can get a free version of this book. If you're new to Audible, go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash free book, and you can use this book as your free book from Audible. And of course, if you don't want an Audible subscription, you can cancel your subscription and still keep the book. Again, schoolofpodcasting.com slash free book. It's been a long time since I've done an Audible. Glad. Also, don't forget about the question of the month. This month's question is, what was the last thing you shared on social media that wasn't yours? And why did you share it? That's what I'm looking for. Why did you share it? And again, you can go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash question to answer that. I do prefer audio answers, and I need that by August 23rd. Lastly, where am I going to be? I'm going to be at Podcast Movement. This is like right around the corner. I will be at the Libsyn booth. So if you want to find me, please, please, please stop by and say hello. Plus, I have my presentation Does starting a podcast make you want to wet your pants? It is going to be the most interactive presentation you've ever seen at any conference, hands down. It's either going to be awesome or it's going to blow up in my face. So if you're a brand new podcaster, I highly, I strongly urge you to check it out, as well as I'm on a panel with Mike Dell and Shannon and Mackenzie, all from different podcast support groups. So if you want to keep your podcast running smoothly, there's going to be some great tips in that. I'll be at FinCon in September in Washington, D.C., as well as the Military Influencer Conference. And uh, Kristen is going to be the keynote speaker in October. She podcasts live in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with her again in October. And then also in October, I'll be at the Doyo Live in Youngstown, Ohio. So if you're looking for somebody to talk about podcasting, reach out at me, schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. But thanks so much for tuning in. If you do want to start a podcast, schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener. And until next week, class is dismissed. Take care and God bless. Of like, there's some comedian that does a a podcast where he randomly calls people, and the only rule is he can't hang up first. I forget Gary something, or I forget. This will be edit point number one. <laughs> but, uh, um, and I'm so happy she's here. It's Kristen Meisner, and I. Uh,
I swear I've never been diagnosed dyslexic, but I it's my not yours, it's Meinzer. That's how we'll do that. Not yours, it's Meinzer. Kristen Meinzer. Not Meisner, Meinzer. Oh, it's driving me nuts. Yeah.